Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The family of 13-year-old Adam Toledo has now seen police body cam footage of his fatal shooting. At the family's request, the video won't immediately be released to the public. Mayor Lightfoot says it's an issue of balancing transparency with sensitivity to family and friends who are grieving. Coming up, we'll take a deeper dive into police accountability here in Chicago and across the country. But first, WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith is here with the latest on the Toledo case and what comes next. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Sasha. The video is not going to be released immediately, but what do we know, Patrick, from the police report or witness accounts about what it probably shows and what the family might have seen yesterday? The most sort of comprehensive description of the incident and the videos that we've gotten so far comes from Cook County prosecutors, actually. The man who was arrested during the incident, uh, 21-year-old Reuben Roman, he's been charged with multiple felonies. And as part of his case, prosecutors describe the shooting and what they say is in the videos. So according to prosecutors, security cameras captured uh, Reuben Roman firing a gun seven or eight times with, with Adam, the 13-year-old boy, standing next to him. The two then ran. Police chased them. At some point, according to prosecutors, Roman handed the gun to Adam. Prosecutors say the body camera of the officer who who fired a shot shows Adam turning toward the officer with a gun in his right hand, and then it shows him hit with a single shot to the chest. Again, that's all according to prosecutors. That's the reason we're waiting for this video is to see what's really in there. The family's asked COPA not to release the video immediately. Have they said why? Well, through a spokesperson, the family has said that viewing the videos was a heartbreaking experience, which, I mean, of course it was. And they've asked for privacy and space to grieve. I will say that having spent time talking with people who were close to Laquan McDonald, uh, they described to me just how difficult it was to watch his killing at the hands of Chicago police played on the news over and over they describe it as re-traumatizing. So, so I think it's not shocking that the family is hesitant to want this video out there in the public where screenshots will be put on front pages and, and video will be shown on the news. Uh, I should say um, this is a reversal. You know, in, immediately after the shooting, the family's attorney said they wanted the video released immediately. Mm-hmm. They've obviously since then changed their mind. But, but I mean, it's understandable this is a – they're going through something that I don't think most of us can comprehend. So you said this is uh... – Something that happens where, where the family requests uh, a delay in, in, in showing the video. Is that typical, though, for, for COPA to hold off on releasing it? It's not typical. I, I think in past cases, there have been times where COPA has made sure the family of someone who was killed by police uh, gets to see the video before the public. But I don't know that it's happened before we've had this kind of coordination. I should also say that it's also not typical for COPA to release videos immediately, uh, you know, it usually does take them weeks or or even, you know, more than a month to actually put out videos from police shootings. It's not typical in that the city is is saying, well, we're going to do whatever the family tells us to do. 
But again, it, it's also not something where videos are always put out immediately. The instances where they have been put out, like the one that I can think of was a shooting from a couple of years ago of a man named Harith Augustus who was killed by police. That was one where the police department actually put out part of the video immediately after the shooting before the family before the family had a chance to view the video. Coppola wasn't a part of that, and actually the city's been, been criticized for that that move since then. CPD, I'm hearing they're already bracing for possible civil unrest. Are you hearing that as well? Officers have been told to be ready to have their shifts uh, canceled or days off, you know, shifts extended or days off canceled. CPD has said that they're monitoring things. They were already monitoring things because of the ongoing trial of Officer Chauvin or former Officer Chauvin in in Minneapolis. Uh, So, yes, I have been hearing that. I've heard from officers who have been sort of told, hey, get ready, be prepared to, to be sent downtown or somewhere else. And I know you know, other reporters have sort of documented things like the salt trucks being out downtown, which the city last year used them as sort of road blockades to try to to try to control protests or stop civil unrest. In the days after Adam was shot and killed, Copa uh, resisted releasing the video at all. They, they said that they were prohibited by law because he was a minor. And of course, as you mentioned, um, they reversed course after calls from the public and the mayor uh, the police superintendent, all pushing for its release. E- even just this morning, the mayor had this to say about the issue of transparency. First and foremost, we have a family uh, that is still incredibly uh, in the throes of grief. Uh, a mom and father who have lost their son, uh, siblings that have lost their brother, grandparents. Um, so I want to be respectful of the family, but I also do uh, think that something like a police-involved shooting particularly under these circumstances, it's important for us to be transparent. We try to be as transparent as we can, um, and we're going to work with the family uh, to move this process along. But I think we have to be respectful of them and move at their speed. So she's saying it's important to move at their speed while also balancing that with transparency. So keeping that in mind, Patrick, is there a timeline for when the video could be released? Well, the only thing that we've seen firmly from from COPA and from the city is that it wouldn't be released immediately the same day that the Toledo family saw the video, which obviously was yesterday. Uh, So we're already past that window. You know, there's nothing that the city has said so far that would bar them from putting it out today or tomorrow or anything like that. And then as far as the the far end, there's a city policy that says the videos have to be put out within 60 days of the shooting. So, you know, we're looking at about another month and a half would be the sort of far end of the other end. You know, as a reporter, I don't want to get too much into speculating or reading the tea leaves because I haven't been told anything firm. I'm expecting it sooner rather than later, but I I really don't know for sure. And again, you know, if they wanted to, they could be within policy and wait another month Mm -hmm. to, to release these videos. And once it's out, what happens after that? What are the next steps? Well, obviously, we're going to wait and see what what it shows and and what the public reaction is to what's in there. I mean, no matter what it shows, this is a a tragedy that there's a 13-year-old boy dad. Obviously, I think what's in the video will determine at least somewhat what the public reaction to that is. And, and, you know, I'll be like a lot of reporters at WBEZ and throughout the city going over all the videos and also all the reports to try to see what exactly we can learn about, about this tragic night. It really is not as far as I understand, a major point in the investigation, you know, the investigation will still be going on by COPA. That will take, you know, could take months or, or even longer. So the investigation will be ongoing and, and and we'll just know a lot more about it whenever these videos are released. Patrick, as we talk about transparency, it, it really is hard to ignore that, that Chicago's past of 
suppressing police videos, right? Uh, a judge had to order the release of the dash cam footage showing uh, the 2014 shooting of Laquan McDonald. You mentioned that case a little bit earlier. Is is that recent history playing a role here, though, do you think, on, on the push and the need for transparency? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for one thing, that 60-day policy that you just mentioned that they have to release those, that that policy is a direct result of the Laquan McDonald killing and the attempt to keep that video hidden from the public. And, you know, I, I, I think I'm sure Mayor Lightfoot is well aware uh, that, you know, accusations that he tried to cover up the police killing of Laquan McDonald followed former Mayor Rahm Emanuel for years, um, and in fact still follow him now when his name comes up when people talk about, you know, if he'll have a position in the Biden administration or something like that, people bring that up. So absolutely I think that we have policies because of that happened, and also I think, think politicians are very aware of that scandal and controversy and the way that the public feels about it, which is that when they think you're trying to hide something, it really does not go well for, yeah. for the politicians. Copa says they're in the very early stages of an investigation that's looking into the entire incident. And the Toledo family lawyers, uh, they say that they're conducting an investigation of their own. Anything we know about that or either? Well, yeah. I mean, what we know about COPA, you know, they said that they've collected all the videos that there are. You know, that's both police body cam videos and private security cameras or other, or other video that might be in the area where, where the shooting happened. They've got the information from the shot spotter technology, which is which is what initially drew police to the scene. They've got the police reports and, and that they're now conducting interviews with officers and uh, any civilians who might have know something about the shooting, either witnessed it or, you know, be connected to it in some way. I mean, I can say that those investigations, again, I mentioned they, they take months or, or even more than a year sometimes. So so I don't expect any result on that anytime soon. And the family, you know, their investigation will, I, I presume, proceed in a similar fashion, presumably in the lead up to, to filing a lawsuit over this. Although, you know, I, I should say I haven't talked to them about what their plans are, but that presumably would be the reason that they'd be doing an investigation. Before I let you go, Patrick, the latest on the officers that are involved here. Well, we know that the firing officer, the officer who, who killed Adam Toledo, uh, is on at least a 30-day sort of desk duty. That's policy with CPD. When, when you're involved in a shooting, you're taken off the street for at least 30 days. That has been extended in the past. In the next couple of weeks, as we get to that 30 days, I'll be checking uh, with the police department to see whether or not that officer is returning to the street or will stay on administrative duty while, while this investigation continues. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Patrick, thank you. Thank you. And police shootings continue to dominate the news. 20-year-old Dante Wright was killed during a traffic stop in suburban Minneapolis. Now, Officer Kim Potter, the 26-year veteran of the force, resigned along with the city's police chief. And breaking news as we record this podcast... NPR is reporting that she's been arrested and is in custody. But calls for accountability and reform continue with the murder trial of former officer Derek Chauvin taking place just 10 miles from where Wright was killed. Joining us now for a closer look at police accountability in these cases and beyond is Samuel Jones. He's professor and associate dean at the UIC John Marshall Law School. Professor Jones, welcome to Reset. Pleasure to be here. We just mentioned a couple of recent examples of high-profile cases in the news this week. What is top of mind for you right now when it comes to calls for police accountability and reform? Well, that's a very good question. The 
first thing that comes to mind is the lack of respect for life. Uh, we continue to suffer from a culture uh, within this country relative to law enforcement, wherein law enforcement officers feel at liberty to exact all kinds of violence against African-American men for even the slightest infraction and to violate their dignity and to exact any kind of uh, abuse without fear of consequences or severe consequences. The resignation model, that is, police officers resigning or police officers being fired, is really not an effective model for uh, police accountability. So what's at the top of my list right now is a system of police accountability that actually deters this kind of conduct. Uh, I also believe that we really do need to have a greater transparency in the release of these body camera footages. Uh, that footage is not the property of the police. It should be deemed the property of the public. So I, I would say those stand at the top of my list. Speaking of body cam footage, let's talk about the uh, Toledo case a little bit. The family's now seen the video. Uh, it comes two weeks after he was killed by police. What do you make of that timeline, Professor? Well, see, that's the problem, is that uh, I do not believe that it is an effective system uh, wherein we allow police officers to have the ability to review the footage, uh, to fashion their, their, their arguments or their narrative, to edit the footage and then release the footage. I think that that footage should be deemed the property of the public and is up to the family to decide what they would like to do with the footage. But that footage should be released to the family immediately. Too often we see incidents where police officers are releasing a version of the footage that supports their narrative only after they've had opportunity to consult with lawyers and other teams and get their stories together, which is oftentimes that story, that narrative that they present it's not consistent with the facts. And so it's very problematic that police, that police departments, not all, but some police departments, are uh, retaining possession of footage and editing the footage and uh, denying uh, families' uh, right, uh, immediate right to the footage. Yesterday, the officer who shot and killed Dante Wright, she submitted her resignation, right, as did the police chief. What's your reaction to that? I know you've already mentioned that's not accountability. Absolutely. It's not accountability. What many people don't understand is that when a police officer submits their resignation, what typically happens is they simply go next door or to the next jurisdiction and, they, and they, uh, they're offered another job in law enforcement. In the United States, we really don't have a federal uh, database or a national database that alerts us to problematic officers. Too often, officers are engaged in killings, abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and they often re resign before an investigation ensues, and then they go get another job. This is the problem uh, that we face in this country with respect to police accountability. So resignation really are not an effective way of uh, uh, policing uh, bad police. Uh, we really need to uh, understand that it actually is counterproductive. Is it an admission of guilt? It is not an admission of guilt, but I do believe that it certainly raises a presumption that the police officer was engaged in mis misconduct. Some are calling for the mayor to reject her resignation and, and fire her instead. What, what message do you think that would send? Well, quite frankly, that was my reaction as well, that the resignation should not have been accepted, that she should have been fired. Kim Potter was a 26-year police veteran when she allegedly mistook her taser for her gun, which is incredibly hard to believe. Uh, let's just listen to a clip of Dante's father. This is Aubrey Wright reacting to that explanation. I cannot accept that. I lost my son. He's never coming back. I can't accept that a, a, a mistake. That's not. That doesn't even sound right. You know, this officer that's been on the force for twenty six plus twenty six years. I can't accept that.
Professor, how is that possible? You're asking me, uh, my personal opinion, having been a, a, a military police officer, I don't think it's possible. And I don't mean to sound like a cynic, but uh, the fact is that the incidents of police officers actually claiming that they mistake, that they mistook a gun for a taser is actually very rare. If you go back about 20 years, we probably could find maybe 10 to 15 incidents. But the fact is that tasers are not even carried on the same side as the firearm. They don't weigh the same. They don't feel the same. There's simply no way that, that I believe that anybody who, is, who has held the pistol and held the taser can, can, can mistake the two. You simply know when you are holding a, a, a pistol. So uh, I understand that the police chief and the police officer involved, you know, they have to come up with a narrative that is plausible, that sort of uh, uh, reduces the likelihood of her being charged. But the bottom line is that it it simply uh, defies logic for anybody who knows anything about uh, law enforcement. Yeah, so officers mistakenly firing their guns instead of tasers, you're saying that doesn't happen often, especially when you're a veteran. It's very rare. In my view, you you probably have a better chance of hitting the lotto. Uh, I mean, it's just not something that uh, it's not really a plausible explanation in my view. It, it, It is a narrative that I think was introduced to us. But I don't believe that it is a very plausible or believable uh, scenario. Professor, uh, several law enforcement officers, including the Minneapolis police chief, they've taken the stand in the murder trial of former officer Derek Chauvin. They're also denouncing him for kneeling on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes. But yesterday, one defense witness, which was uh, a former officer from the Bay Area, he testified that Chauvin was justified in his actions. What are your thoughts here? One thing that really is very disappointing is that we continue to see the manifestation of racial bias, anti-black male bias, white supremacy permeate in our law enforcement system throughout the country. There is simply no way that anybody uh, who knows anything about uh, law enforcement or just generally notions of dignity and respect and accountability could could reach a conclusion that uh, uh, the officer was justified in kneeling on uh, George Floyd's neck for nine minutes. You know, I expect these kinds of comments, but when you look at many of the comments that are being shared by many law enforcement officials on social media, many of the uh, law enforcement officials uh, who engage, who were involved in the uh, insurrection at the Capitol, we have a very real problem with the infiltration of law enforcement by white supremacists and those in sympathy with white supremacists. So those kinds of comments simply fall in line with, with those kind of sentiments, so I'm not surprised. But I am very dismissive uh, of those comments. The Chicago Police Department's under a consent decree for, uh, for reform, but an independent monitor recently found that the city is still falling short of its goals and missing the majority of its deadlines. What, what does that tell you about the possibility of police reform here in Chicago? We actually had a police accountability task force conduct a study uh, several years ago, and it was actually led by uh, now Mayor Lori Lightfoot and uh, co-chaired by Deval Patrick. And uh, I encourage all of your listeners to review that report. Uh, the report was very alarming, and uh, the, the, the fact that we still, some several years later, don't have proper procedures in place and have not addressed the alarming amounts of racial disparities uh, highlighted in that report, the fact that uh, African-Americans are stopped four or five times at the rate of uh, whites when whites are more likely to be carrying contraband, uh, constitute roughly 70, 80 percent of the people who were shot at 
uh, who are tased, uh, despite the fact that many of them are law-abiding citizens. And so the idea that we have a consent decree, we have our own self-studies, we have our own internal findings that all indicate that we have a very real problem in Chicago with respect to law enforcement. Uh, the idea that we don't have uh, significant change is, is very alarming. But I do want to say that we have some police officers who are stepping up, trying to make a difference. The problem is that it's too hard or too difficult to get rid of the bad police officers. It's and really hard for the good cops out there right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. In, in February, Professor, um, our governor signed a sweeping criminal justice bill into law, and a lot was packed in there. The, the key components, though, the elimination of cash bail by 2023. Uh, all police officers need to wear body cameras by 2025. It would restrict officers' ability to pursue fleeing suspects, also calling for new police uh, training in crisis intervention and de-escalation. What are your thoughts? You know, I was very heavily involved in that process. I testified before the House on a number of different issues relative to the bill. I think it's a very good bill. I think it's a step in the right direction. But I also think that we have to do more, not simply in terms of police accountability, but in terms of our ability to to uh, get bad police officers off of the force, which is why uh, many of us support a, li- a state licensing requirement uh, when a police officer is engaged in misconduct, the, the license is simply revoked. It is probably one of the most comprehensive and best bills that uh, that we've seen, uh, you know, not only in the history of Illinois, but in the history of the country. Uh, we simply have to now have uh, court systems and uh, law enforcement executives maintain a willingness to enforce the law, to to abide by the bill, because accountability is going to be key. What are you going to be watching for as all of these stories continue to unfold, Professor? You know, Dr. Martin Luther King talked about uh, police brutality and the alarming rate of of, of police killings uh, within the African-American community decades ago. Uh, We continue to talk about these things right now. So far, I have not seen or heard any indication of of a significant change. So it's really sad that we continue to face these incidents on on a monthly basis. Right now, I think we had the technology to hold police officers accountable. I think that we're at a point in this country where people want greater accountability. And it's going to be up to our legislators and and members of the executive branch and and members of the academy, quite frankly, to do a better job of uh, holding police officers accountable. That's Samuel Jones. He's a professor and associate dean at the UIC John Marshall Law School. Professor, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very kindly. And that's today's Reset for great conversations around police accountability to interviews with authors and artists. There is something new for you each day here on Reset. Make sure you're subscribed, tell a friend, and give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.